Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Countries in southeastern and eastern Asia are meeting in Jakarta, Indonesia to focus on the economy. China sends its premier to attend and pay an official visit to the country. What spices can we add together to global economic recovery? And Qinghai province in northwest China is source of three biggest rivers in Asia. How to keep the water there clean? I talked to a local Tibetan activist. Welcome to The Point, an opinion show coming to you from from Beijing, I'm Li Xin. The world's oceans are too wide to be sailed alone. Indonesian President Joko Widodo said this at the opening ceremony of the 43rd Summit of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or ASEAN. With 10 countries and over 650 million people, ASEAN is the world's fifth largest economic bloc. Widodo likened ASEAN to a ship and called for all ASEAN members and partners to unite to address global challenges. Now, the summit and related summits formally kicked off on Tuesday in Jakarta, Indonesia. Leaders from 22 countries and nine international organizations are attending the three-day event, making it the largest of its kind ever. Prior to the summit's commencement, President Widodo said there are plenty of agendas, but the focus is on the economy. At the invitation of uh, President Widodo, Chinese Premier Li Qiang is participating in the China ASEAN Summit, the ASEAN Plus Three Summit and the East Asia Summit while paying a state visit to Indonesia. So how can regional countries work together to add some spices to global economic recovery. I'm pleased to be joined from Beijing by Professor Yang Yue, Deputy Director of the Institute of Asian Studies at China Foreign Affairs University, and from Kuala Lumpur, capital of Malaysia, by Dr. Peter Chang, Deputy Director of the Institute of China Studies at the University of Malaya. Welcome to the both of you to this edition of The Point. So, Right now, we're looking at two pictures. One is the larger one. For instance, IMF uh, director, managing director called the global economy uh, being at a difficult and uncertain time. While well, Indonesian President Widodo said the ASEAN's uh, direction is clearly the epicentrum of growth and ASEAN has great capital to achieve it. So I want to start with Dr. Chen, if I may. Does he imply that ASEAN is better off than other group of economies to face the uncertainty and decline? What capital does he specifically mean? The theme that President Jokowi gave to this summit speaks, says it all. ASEAN matters. It's the epic centrum of growth. It's a theme of optimism. There is a lot of sort of uh, uh, possibilities that we see that is happening in ASEAN itself. And we are just coming up two years in, uh, post-COVID, and that's a lot of momentum going up, uh, heading our, our way. And we feel that this is the moment. This is the moment that ASEAN continues to be, to be critical, not only for ourselves, also for the wider region and the global economy. Professor Yang, um, share with us the the thoughts that China has about ASEAN, because obviously China attaches a great, a lot of importance to ASEAN. Uh, we are each other's biggest trading partner. Bilateral trade is about to exceed one trillion U.S. dollar. That is almost double the amount of uh, the trade between uh, United States with ASEAN, the current level. So exactly what does ASEAN mean to China and what does China mean to ASEAN? As you said, we have very close economic and trade ties. And if you look at the 
economic performance of this region, uh, especially Southeast Asia,、uh, is the fastest growth region in the world.、Uh, and according to the World Bank projection for this year, many Southeast Asian countries are expected to、uh, still grow at very fast speed,、uh, but. They still face、uh, some problems, like development gap. I think it's a big problem、uh, facing ASEAN countries. That we need、uh, work together on this. I think China has already、um, done a lot、uh, to work together with Southeast Asia countries to narrow the development gap. And also, epicentrum of growth, as you just mentioned, is one of very important pillars.、Uh, Indonesia, as ASEAN chair, proposed、uh, this year. Um, so I think、uh, they have great resources or capital to realize this,、uh, because all Southeast Asian countries prioritize the development. So that demonstrates, I think, the strong commitment of ASEAN leaders to develop, to promote、uh, economic development,、uh, and also the enabling regional economic cooperation environment. I think. Uh, built together、uh, by China and other regional countries is the second one. This enabling、uh, regional economic environment, including like RCEP,、mm-hmm. right, and also the new、uh, dual circulation development pattern launched by、uh, China, I think both can inject new vigor. To regional economic integration and also、uh, enter、okay. the leadership well, well, of let, Indonesia. Okay. Well, let me interrupt you there because if you read the、Hi. international media, there is not much that's been said about ASEAN,、uh, despite the U.S. pledge、mm-hmm. to, you know, pay more attention to ASEAN. And I want to ask this question to Dr. Chan. Probably, you know, the question is still being asked: What is ASEAN? Why is ASEAN, you know, emphasizing this word centrality? Does ASEAN matter to the Western world? If there is, if I can borrow this term, does ASEAN matter for global economic recovery? ASEAN matters to the USA. U.S.、Uh, sanction against China and the French shoring or the offshoring that is happening right now. A lot of the supply chain has moved to to Southeast Asia. Vietnam, for example, has benefited a great deal from it. Malaysia has also, in some ways, benefited from this as well. So America realized that Southeast Asia, ASEAN, remains a critical part of the、uh, sort of、uh, economic or trade sort of rivalry with China. So I think ASEAN remains very critical for both of the superpowers. We are playing, we are engaging both. We want to be part of this global. Trade, well,、um, well. Let, sorry for interrupting.、Uh, I mean, yeah, ASEAN、sorry. wants. ASEAN doesn't want to be used as some kind of, you know, arena for great power competition. By the way, China doesn't consider itself a superpower.、Um, but it seems that the United States is talking about taking ASEAN seriously, but not really paying attention to it. For instance,、uh, Vice President Harris is attending the summit. President Biden is not attending, but he will be going to the G20 summit in India, and then he will visit Vietnam. Just days apart, why not coming to the ASEAN summit if the U.S. is really committed to ASEAN? Same can be said. President Xi is not has not he's not coming to the ASEAN summit either, and I, he is not going to the G20、uh, summit either. So I think, regardless of what leadership that is going to be present at the ASEAN summit,、uh, I think ASEAN feels that it is still a very critical、uh, component of this global. Uh, trade sort of、uh, supply chain, and we will continue to play 
a constructive role. We want to be engaging both China and uh, America economically. Well, let's focus a little bit more on uh, what uh, Professor Yang was talking about. Uh, basically, uh, version three of China ASEAN Free Trade Agreement. There has been negotiations of uh, promoting that, taking that to a higher level. Can we expect a breakthrough? If so, what difference would that make to the regional economies and, and possibly beyond? So 3.0 version, actually, uh, this initiative proposed uh, in 2021 uh, by President Xi, a special summit to commemorate uh, the 30th anniversary of ASEAN-China dialogue relations. And as we can see, it proceeds very fast. Uh, negotiations already start. And 1.0 version focused on zero tariff, uh, covered 90% tax uh, items of both sides, and 2.0 further opened up market access to both parties. I think the 3.0 actively echoes the development needs of regional countries, especially ASEAN members, and also follow the trend of regional economic development. And also, if we see the proposal, uh, the draft of 3.0 uh, version, is mainly based on the current needs and future direction of ASEAN-China cooperation and focusing on digital economy and green economy, uh, so that both by uh, innovation and sustainable development. I think it will further uh, facilitate bilateral trade and investment. So we'll see a much shorter negative list uh, and more open market. And this is inevitable result of close economic and trade ties between each other. Is that what Premier Li was talking about as um, to further high level cooperation in areas such as digital economy, biomedicine, and there's you know, other areas in this, in this regard. What exactly does China mean higher level, higher quality cooperation, Professor Yang? Yeah, this is what China pushes forward uh, in recent years, especially high quality development of BRI cooperation, and also uh, push forward some principles and also warmly echoed by ASEAN members and endorsed by ASEAN members. I think what Premier Li Qiang mentioned when talking about the relations uh, between China and uh, Indonesia, I think those sectors are priorities of both countries' development strategy. So he mentioned that I think shows the willingness of China to deepen the synergy of uh, bilateral development strategies and further expand co uh, cooperation in these sectors as you mentioned, AI or digital economy and biomedicine and right. also clean energy, right? They're also very solid foundation right now in cooperation uh, on these sectors. Um, so it could help. I think the co bilateral cooperation could help seize uh, both seize the opportunities uh, offered by Industry uh, 4.0 and also could help both to rise up to the challenges uh, brought up by, uh, like, uh, digital age. Okay. Right. Yeah. Dr. Chen, my final question, what do you expect to come out of this year's summits concretely that will make an impact in the near future for the regional economies? I think coming out from this will be, again, China's sort of reiterating its commitment to ASEAN. Uh, following what Professor Yang has said, or your, the question that you posed early on, High quality development is the one that we are looking at. We are looking at digital BRI, public health. Uh, the health civil is the other thing that 
we would like to see uh, being promoted. Green BRI, sustainable BRI, things like the elect, elect EV, electrical vehicles, uh, solar panels, and things like that. That will, that will help us to, to move to the next stage of development. Okay, we have to leave it there. Many thanks to Professor Yang Yue, Deputy Director of the Institute of Asian Studies at China Foreign Affairs University, and Dr. Peter Chang, Deputy Director of the Institute of China Studies at the University of Malaya. When we come back, Qinghai Province in northwest China is known as the water tower of China, even of southeastern Asia. How to keep the water there clean? I spoke with the head of a local NGO. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point. Qinghai province in northwest China is known as the water tower of China, where the three biggest rivers in Asia originate. They include the Yanzi River, the Yellow River, and the Langtang River, which is known as the Mekong, that flows through China, Myanmar, Laos, Thailand, Cambodia, and Vietnam. It is also a land where ethnic Tibetans have inhabited for a long time. Now, the local governments have taken various measures to protect the environment, but how to mobilize the local residents while they're adopting a modern way of life. Earlier, I spoke with Dong Zhou Chunpei, Secretary General of a local NGO called the Snowland Great Rivers Environmental Protection Association. I started by asking him to explain the uniqueness of Qinghai geographically. Sanjiangyuan, which means source of three rivers, is home to the headwaters of the Yangtze, Yellow, and Lansang rivers. Countless water sources and rivers flow together and eventually converge, forming these significant and large rivers. The Sanjiangyuan is the largest national nature reserve in China, and the Sanjiangyuan National Park is located right within the nature reserve. The three rivers are widely regarded as the Chinese population's primary drinking water sources. Some can say that approximately half of China's population depends on the water that originates from rivers originating from Sanjiangyuan for their drinking needs. So it's not just a water tower of China, but also that of Asia. Yes, and it's not just the Chinese people. Sanjiangyuan is seen as the water tower of Asia, so more than two billion people are directly affected by this important water source. Before taking on the name Sanjiangyuan, we call this area Jianghuyuan, or the source of rivers. It's because many important rivers flow from here into numerous other countries. So when you took up the job as Secretary General of the uh, Snowland uh, Great Rivers Environmental Protection Association, how was the situation? How urgent did you find your job to be? At that time, our main efforts in the area were to develop skilled individuals involved in environmental protection and water conservation. With global warming causing glaciers to retreat and underground water in permafrost regions to diminish, there is a growing concern about the depletion of water sources. However, the residents in the water source areas haven't fully grasped 
the concept of a water crisis. They still feel a sense of security as living in these regions, believing that even if water scarcity becomes a global issue, there will still be water in our water sources. During our research, we found out that more than 700 water sources in the Lansong River water source area had dried up completely. We didn't know in which year this happened. In our interviews, an elderly person in his 80s said, When I was a child, there used to be water sources here, but now they are gone. After realizing this, we came to know that the people in the local communities and throughout the entire Xinhai-Tibet plateau are directly affected by the consequences of global warming. This region is one of the most vulnerable areas to climate change worldwide. The newfound awareness prompted a great emphasis on the water source depletion problem. Investigating water sources is vital for addressing global warming. Through these surveys, we aim to raise awareness about the importance of preserving water and the environmental conditions of water sources. During our data collection process, we encountered instances of water sources drying up due to climate change. We also came across water sources drying up due to severe white pollution in the area. Some water sources were not giving enough attention and were damaged by road construction carried out by certain project teams. Has it been difficult to persuade the local people that they must protect this land? Our goal is to preserve these water sources not only for our generation, but also for future generations. Our main objective is to protect the environment and ensure the safety of these water sources. However, we have realized that involving people with a strong emotional connection to the water sources might be more effective than relying on those without such a connection. You have been implementing a project called Zero Waste, literally meaning that the local people do not consume products that will leave uh, waste, especially plastic waste, in the areas where the great rivers originate. Um, now you have reached to two of the three rivers and you have reached over a thousand people, over 220 households. Exactly how did you start that idea? Why did you think it was important? The project aims to protect water sources currently facing pollution from plastic waste. About 30 years ago, the Sanjiangyuan area had minimal garbage due to the lifestyle of the local residents, which was closely connected with nature. However, over the past few decades, industrial development and changes in people's lifestyles influenced by the media have resulted in more garbage, particularly disposable food packaging and utensils. People now use disposable bags and chopsticks, consume packaged and carbonated beverages and discard empty bottles, contributing to a significant increase in white waste pollution. The people residing in these critical water source areas have the power to both protect and potentially harm the water sources. 
We saw thought. Did this happen due to people's mindset? We began telling local people that white waste should not be thrown away. We weren't sure whether local people lacked environmental awareness or were simply uninformed. I found out that 30 years ago, the everyday things that local people used produced little garbage, whether given to them or used by themselves. They drank boiled milk, which came from yaks. Even when they had esteemed guests or visitors, they made milk tea and served it. So harmful and healthy or environmentally damaging food wasn't around that much. What's the biggest obstacle for you in carrying out this project? The real challenge lies in how people choose their way of life. Should we embrace a nature-friendly and sustainable lifestyle or opt for a destructive approach that goes against nature? To make the right choice and to change people's perception pose the biggest project implementation hurdles. I believe it's not just our locals, but many others face this challenge too. The environment we inhabit has never asked for anything in return. We have lived on this land for generations, and it's important to appreciate and protect it. This concept is easy to grasp. In the past, there was a harmonious way of life that revered nature and respected all forms of life. This mindset has always been ingrained in our local culture. It may seem like we're under a lot of pressure, but the real pressure is on the local people who act actually adopt these zero-waste lifestyles at home. Out of over 220 households, not a single person is unwilling, passive or forced into it. Everyone willingly and actively participates. Their culture, beliefs and their mindset play a major role in their choice. Once they develop a correct understanding of the material world, they realize that they are not sacrificing their current development by going zero waste. They are actually opting for a better and healthier life. For them, zero waste living represents a leap into a new era, a lifestyle that people should embrace and choose in this new development phase. During the process of rolling out this project, what kind of collaboration has there been between you and the local uh, authorities? What kind of uh, um, interaction has there been between the two sides? When it comes to pushing these initiatives, the government got on board, addressing the problems of white waste pollution and the pollution damage to water sources. They recognized the importance of the issue. They recognized the worth of our ideas. We work closely with village leaders at the committee level. We went door to door to interact with the residents. 
Unlike agricultural regions with close knit communities, the Sanjiangyuan area is vast and sparsely populated. The distance between households was considerable. To get our message for a healthier life across, we had to wait until after 8 pm when residents finished herding. To promote zero waste, everyone in the family needs to understand the concept and get involved. It's not enough for just one person to grasp the concept. That's why we waited until they returned from herding, so that the whole family, including children, elderly and young adults, could be present for the sessions. Sometimes our visits would stretch until around 11 p.m. This phase was quite difficult. The government played a vital role in organizing personnel to implement these initiatives. They worked closely with village leaders and enlisted the help of local environmental officers, known as environmental protectors. We relied on motorcycles for transportation in areas where cars couldn't access. The local community and government provided the motorcycles, and we would ride to reach each household. This greatly facilitated our work. What kind of inspiration do you think your projects can provide to areas that face similar heritages and challenges? Based on our personal experiences, no matter where we are, we value clean mountains, clean water and pure hearts. Our goal in any development model is to protect the environment and people. Approaching tasks with this mindset leads to innovation and new possibilities. While we don't have specific plans or suggestions now, we deeply respect and appreciate nature, knowing it's not just for us but for future generations too. It's not about depleting the resources for our own pleasure. Therefore, with gratitude and a selfless mindset, we aim to maintain our original purpose when choosing how to live and develop. Our practical experiences have shown positive results so far. Dongzhou Chunpei, a local Tibetan in China's northwestern Qinghai province, who is also Secretary General of the NGO Snowland Great Rivers Environmental Protection Association. With that, we come to the end of this special edition of The Point with me, Liu Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Liu Xin in Beijing. You've got the point.